Welcome to Shanghai Zan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. And you can learn more about Shanghai John at our website at johnstation.com. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kasmi. And we'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. Ali, we are now close to seventy thousand downloads. Of course, we're going to have a party at the hundred thousand mark, so we're not get too excited right away. If you like the show, share with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Making the podcast is pure love and not profit. We don't make any money out of this. So if you'd like to help us with a donation, you get a coffee mug if you donate. You get a sticker if you donate. Go to Patreon.com/slash/ShanghaiZan. And I'd like to remind everyone that today's episode is sponsored by our good friends at Campaign Asia. Ali, today we are talking metaverse. It took us 26 episodes, and we're finally going to talk about the metaverse on episode 26. And tonight we have Mark Zuckerberg. No, we don't have Mark Zuckerberg here. We have someone even better. We're talking to Tom Huiyang. He is an innovator, software architect. Data scientist, futurist, runner, and entrepreneur, he holds a PhD from the Chinese Academy of Sciences in get this, Ali, biomathematics, bioinformatics, and computational biology. We will be going into those subjects in detail on the podcast. No, we won't. Tom has spent a long time researching virology, molecular biology, and genomic health. Co-founded a Digital health startup, steered data science and AI at Accenture China, and most recently running data and AI function at Unilever China as the global AI director and North Asia data head. That's amazing, Tom. Your current passion is in the metaverse, and so we can't think of anyone better to talk about meta life than someone who has spent most of their adult life researching life in the genetic form. Tom, welcome to Shanghai Zan. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. That's fantastic. So, Tom, we really have to start off by asking the question that is on everyone's minds because I think it often gets misinterpreted. What is the metaverse? How does it pair up with extended reality, virtual reality, and augmented reality? You know, there's always a lot of confusion around this, even by me, about what the differences are. And can you help us shed some light and clarity on each of these aspects? Well, that's that's a lot of jargons. But I think if we look back to the early days of the internet, we might get some inspiration on the historical perspective. I remember when I was a kid, they talked about the internet, but they often used the word information highway. So I think the relationship between a metaverse and、uh, virtual reality or augmented reality is similar to the relationship between the information highway and the internet. So basically, the internet is the tool or the infrastructure which, if done successfully, you will create a information highway.、Uh, the same is here. The if you have 
mature enough uh, technology in virtual reality and augmented reality, then you might get a chance to create a fully immersive uh, experience for the users of those hardware and software product. And the effect is that you created a metaverse. And I want to uh, spend maybe one or two more words about the, the distinction you raised between standard reality, mixed reality, virtual reality versus augmented reality. I think eventually all those jargons, they will converge into one thing. That's AR glass on everyone's face. Nowadays, we, everyone has a smartphone in their in their pocket. So as a consumer, actually, we don't need to worry too much about those jargons. We should just wait for the iPhone moment of those AR glasses, hopefully soon. When you mention that, I think of something that's made by Oculus. Do you see the Oculus glasses as there's being a massive innovation in them? Because right now they're bulky, they are uncomfortable. I've experienced using them and I'll be honest, after about 30 minutes, I'm ready to puke. You get very disoriented very quickly. Generally speaking, the user experience isn't very good. Do you see that there'll be a innovative leapfrog before that this will become quite ubiquitous in the market? Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, keep track of uh, major players in this field and their recent uh, news release, you, you will know that uh, taken Meta, Facebook, for example, they have a huge uh, R&D team and they are working on multiple fronts to address the usability and uh, comfort, comfort of use problem you just mentioned. In, in terms of leveling up the resolutions, right now the highest resolution VR or AR, sorry, VR glasses is uh, 4K. But it has been researched and modeled that to achieve photorealistic uh, reality, you need to at least has around 8K or 16K resolution. So there are teams in Meta, they are doing research on the prototypes of those ultra-high resolution screens, virtual screens in the glasses. Simultaneously, there are also some other units doing research on how to reducing the weight of the, those uh, wearable uh, glasses to make it more comfortable to use. The vomiting and nauseating uh, problem you just mentioned, it's mainly because of the latency. Because the higher resolution you are, uh, the frame rate it's like playing a video game. The higher resolution you are, the frame rate will drop. So you need to have really, really strong graphic processing unit to be able to generate high enough frame rates such as uh, 60 FPS or even 120 FPS, which is now common for the high-end gaming smartphones, but not there yet for the AR and VR glasses. Another uh, domain which is being actively researched and developed is to extend the field of view. Uh, right now, all the VR and AR glasses, they, their field of view is kind of limited. It's around uh, 90 degree, 100 degree. So you, you don't get a full immersive experience in, in terms of your visual perception field. Instead of being immersed, you almost like uh, looking uh, across a window. 
you are like in a dark room and you look over a window. So you got the virtual world or the augmented world through that window, but you, you yourself is not in that world. You are in that dark room. But with the newer generation or the future generation of AR glasses, I think the field of view problem is also going to be greatly uh, expanded. And you mentioned prior to us starting the podcast, a bold prediction for 2030 that you bet with your friend. Can you share with our listeners what that bold prediction was? Sure. It happened last year uh, over a lunch. I, I had a bet with one of my friends who's also in the internet and tech industry. Uh, I said basically uh, in less than 10 years, by year 2030, the popularity, which is measured by how many devices shipped annually of AR glasses, will be just as much as, if not more than, the popularity of a smartphone in the year 2015. So basically, in less than uh, now, in less than eight years, AR glasses will achieve mainstream. I'm curiously waiting for the iPhone moment for AR glasses. There are a lot of rumors that Apple they are developing their first generation AR glasses. There's a huge arms race between Meta, Apple, or even Google and Microsoft. So uh, my bet is for one Bitcoin. Wow. Okay. You mentioned Google, Apple, Microsoft. Any Chinese players that will get involved here? Are there any local shops that will also compete in this space? Yes, absolutely. There are, right now, as we are speaking, more than 10 uh, startups, and they are either in the prototype stage or some of the startups such as uh, Pico acquired by uh, ByteDance uh, recently, recent year, they have shipped uh, tens of thousands of VR goggle units to the, to the mass market. So they are strong competitors in this field, especially backed by the huge electronic supply chain. In, in places like Shenzhen or Suzhou. What about from a platform perspective? Uh, when you look at Facebook and Google and Microsoft, certainly there are platform players as well. Who do you think is going to win that race? I'm no fortune teller, and uh, I can't predict the future winner, but uh, I think it's reasonable to assume that in the era of uh, AR glasses and augmented reality, the operating platform will be redefined. Whatever the winner is currently, basically iOS and Android, it doesn't mean automatically they will dominate the future AR glasses uh, arms race. There might be some black horse that win over the popularity of the market, win over market share, either because of they have better hardware plus software user experience or because of uh, their uh, huge uh, user base. Yeah, but also perhaps also because of the utility that they can offer that the bigger players were unable to identify as part of the original build-out. I think that we could probably have a podcast dedicated to this subject with you, Tom. We could talk every week. Uh, it's so fascinating. I think I want to get back to your background, mainly to understand what, what really motivated you towards the metaverse. And you started in, in genomic sequence and genetics and 
molecular biology. How did you get involved in the metaverse? What prompted your interest in all of this? Well, uh, since you already recited my career path, I'm not going to go through it all over again. But I would just share with you recent epiphany moments occurred to me. Actually, it's just last year when I was driving a car on the street. I was waiting for the red light, for the green light, and I look at the the dashboard of the car. It's a Tesla. It has a dashboard which is essentially a, a piece of LCD screen. And I was like,、uh, when could the, those automakers have the heads-up display? It's like uh, in the a fighter jet. And、uh, you don't need to shift away your、uh, viewing angle to the road. Basically, you can keep your eyes on the road while seeing all the key information, such as uh, uh, speed or even the navigation route. And then it occurred to me: if all of us, when we are driving a car, we wear some sort of AR glasses, then we don't need to ask those automakers. To f- retrofit some sort of heads-up heads display to the car, we can have it. Whatever cars we are driving, or even we are not driving a car, even we are walking on the street or sitting in the office, we can have those additional information overlaid to the reality by those AR glasses, and with enough content and immersive. Experiences that might become the cornerstone of the future metaverse. That's how I came to those passion. And how does it connect to the things that you studied and how you see it evolving from your your previous studies and your PhD work? Where do you see the connection in in the metaverse to that?、Uh, well, honestly,、uh, now it's still in the very early days of、uh, metaverse. Actually, nobody knows what metaverse will really be when it's fully matured, like、uh, in five years or in ten years. My interest is mainly the the human perception of reality and also the. Biology,、uh, physiology, and psychology effect. If we are able to overlay those virtual information on top of physical reality, basically how human behavior would change, how human、uh, psychology would change, or even how our social behavior, social、uh, structure will change. I will give you one example. It's actually one of the crazier thought I had. Ever since I developed that fetish about、uh, augmented reality, nowadays if we walk on the street, we see a car going by. Maybe it's a Mercedes car, but in a few years, if every one of us we are wearing some sort of AR glasses, theoretically it's possible to modify this car looking into a totally different brand, a totally different model. Just because another model, they just paid the advertising、uh, money to this platform, but from the viewers' point of view, from the people who walks on the street, they might totally not being aware of this car is actually not a, let's say BMW. It's actually a Mercedes.、Mm. So if you think about it, it's 
both exciting and horrifying. So imagine, for example,、uh, what we're saying is Bryce could be me and I could be Bryce. People might confuse us for each other. That's really dystopian. <laughs> That's especially、uh, possible if you can、uh, link that with the recent development of AI. You know, now you can generate、uh, photorealistic pictures or even videos with AI programs like DeepFake. How do you think this is going to evolve? I think the bigger question is, from a marketer's perspective, what kind of services that will be eventually provided. The reality is that even from the evolution of Web 1.0 to Web 3.0, there hasn't been a lot of decentralization. You know, it's always been for the reasons of public security, and even in places in in the West now, and in in the U.S., there's a lot more discussion about control of the internet, especially given its harmful effects. Do you think that this will influence the way the metaverse and Web 3.0 services will be built out? Do you think that there will be a lot of control within what we'll be able to see and not see? Because From what you just described, you could absolutely, completely go nuts. What are some more realistic predictions of how the metaverse will eventually evolve into? Well, first, I don't think the, for Web 1.0 and 2.0, the lack of decentralization was out of the control or regulation or compliance. I think it's simply because. In the era of Web 1.0 and 2.0, we simply don't have enough computing power and bandwidth to support that level of decentralization. It's like for those blockchain-based systems, especially those crypto crypto coins, mining them takes huge amount of computing power. In the age of Web 1 and Web 2.0, there's simply not enough computing power. To support that, but nowadays with the wide wide adoption of cloud computing and the hugely improved computing power of personal device like a smartphone, now it becomes possible to contemplate a totally new internet architecture, which is hugely more decentralized. And what kind of services do you think will be the initial metaverse? Platforms and products. Do you think it will be gaming? I mean, we're already seeing it a lot with gaming already. Do you see it moving into commerce and how we buy products? What will be the first things that we'll likely see? What will be the most popular things? I, I think、uh, it's most likely gaming will be the earliest industry that taking full advantage of the development of metaverse and all the supporting technologies such as AR or VR or MR. The reason is, if you look at the advancement of computer games or console games in the recent five years, now you can actually achieve photorealistic reality in some of the big shot games. Like a few months ago、uh, during the lockdown, I played、uh, a lot of games about flying. I, I was playing a Microsoft、uh, Flight Simulator. You can't believe how realistic it was piloting a Cessna on some、uh, Pacific coral island. It's basically inseparable from taking a real picture there. And imagine putting all those great content into the future 
AR glasses or, or VR glasses, it will have huge improvement in terms of the immersiveness and also the, the experience. And what about shopping? I know the early stages of this was this very lame walk-through store kind of experience. So you walk through this, this 3D kind of environment to a, which looked like a traditional shop. Do you vision a new, unique way of experiencing products? I mean, you mentioned the automobiles that could change. Ali and I could switch places. Where do you see that the online retail experience will evolve or improve? With more realistic visual experience of the good, of the physical good, it's definitely going to make the advertisements more compelling and more attractive to the consumers and they might be more impulsive when they are exposed to such fully immersive experience. But let's not forget that most of the time when people buying things, what they are trying to get essentially is uh, some sort of new experience. Like uh, uh, girls buy cosmetics, they want to be more beautiful. They want to experience what's it like to be a more beautiful girl. And uh, also um, for cars, guys buy some muscle sports cars to experience the thrilling feeling of the race, of the drag race, let's say. But that's now. If we look forward 10 years, if the virtual experience or mixed uh, reality experience is virtually, it's literally inseparable from the real experience of driving a racing car, then you don't need to sell people the race car. You can just directly sell them those digital virtual experience. So, so I think it will open up a whole new category of merchandise and commodity. I've always told people that I think the implementation of this, especially in shopping and how you've just described improving the whole consumer discovery phase, will first of all happen in China, not in America. I think mainly because the platforms like Alibaba are so powerful and we know that they're also very much engaged in metaverse and AI technology. Also, because China is generally an early adopter, a quicker early adopter of technology than than other places, that this will kind of come out of China. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think the difference is in the metaverse from China and the rest of the world? Besides, in America, we've got creepy Mark Zuckerberg avatars suddenly appearing in various metaverse experiences. But besides that, what do you think is the biggest difference between China and the rest of the world? There, there could be uh, several different aspects of the, in terms of how metaverse is going to be realized, such as the level of regulation. And also there's significant cultural difference in Eastern Asia society versus uh, American society. So I can totally imagine that when the content creator, they are creating immersive experiences for different markets, they would have huge difference to appeal, basically, to the different demography. What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say Snoop Dogg is not going to work in China? There will be more uh, content that leverage the local culture, the, the ancient Chinese culture, because the consumers in China, they are more 
culturally confident. Snoop Dogg just has to put on a hanfu in the in the in the <laughs> uh, in the virtual world if he wants to make it in China. Just wear the hanfu. Yeah, but again, because it, now you have a huge power of uh, digitally manipulating the reality in real time, so it's also completely possible to have mixing of those different cultures, elements from different cultures, like. Snoopy dog with hanfu, or uh, some Chinese uh, ancient, like like uh, the Chinese ancient god in some American setup. Does that excite you, or does that scare you? What does that mean for learning as well? I kind of feel like certainly gives me a sense that in a virtual reality context, dominated by deep fake reality or history as we know it, may in fact cease to exist. Because your reality, your future, your past, is whatever has been learned in a virtual context. There are certainly a danger of that, but on the other hand, if properly incorporated, some of the other uh, technologies of the Web three, such as uh, blockchain, there might be a solution for that in terms of the to make sure the authenticity of those、uh, contents or have. Clear distinction between the so-called original reality versus、uh, the manipulated uh, reality. There are potential ways to to address that, but since we are not there yet, so nobody could predict how that really going to span out. Because the way we solved this with spam was to put spam, or actually、uh, was to put AD advertising on top of emails that were spam. Or that you know that were、uh, a mar- marketer generated. So it would be very disappointing if, in a meta world, you had people with advertisements floating over their head, saying that this person or this character is in fact an advertisement and not reality. As a digital marketing professional, I I, I fully appreciate the intriguing、uh, feature of、uh, that experience. But I also believe that、uh, with market mechanism, there will be solutions to those spam or or virtual realities spam. I guess, like everything, it will have to go through an evolution. As there's new things in- innovated, there will always be opportunities to take it to the extreme, and obviously that people will have to step in, regulators, companies, to have to put the brakes on that to say, "Oh, that's going a little bit too far. We have to bring it back." Do you feel that? There is going to be a psychological impact on this. Do you see this even on the fundamental aspect of being psychologically harmful for people, and that we will lose the ability to be able to communicate in a real face-to-face situation? There are definitely a danger of abuse and causing some harmful psychological effect to the users. But on the other hand, there's also Possibility of using all those new technology and experience to the good, like in therapeutic area. Imagine if a, a boy or a, a kid who's afraid of spider, and if you want to help this kid to conquer the fear to the spider, it's certainly、uh, more safer to、uh, expose him to a virtually generated spider. On the floor versus bring him to the some some real spider in front of some real spider, so I, I think it's a double-edged sword. 
just like most of the technologies. It, it depends on the person who's developing the product. I guess on the flip side, if you were a doctor or surgeon, I think that would also be beneficial in health and treatment of patients as well. I had the personal experience, actually the lack of personal experience during the, during the lockdown. I can fully imagine if there are AR glasses and it's weared by everyone, like just we are using smartphones nowadays, in such isolation conditions, having your friends, your colleagues, your family members mm. sitting next to you virtually on daily basis having dinner with you virtually, it will help a lot psychologically to people under that situation. That's a good point. And certainly being able to fully connect with people in a workplace. I mean, we had this discussion with Dominique Penaloza a few episodes ago, Ali, where people from Qinghai or Xinjiang or places not necessarily in Shanghai, because we know the cost of living in the cities in China is so expensive that this could be provide equal opportunities for people who don't live in the cities to be able to interact and mingle and associate in a real working business situation, I guess. It can also be a powerful tool for uh, it achieve better equality in the fields of education, in the field of industries. So, Tom, there's a lot of platforms, metaverse platforms being built out now in China. I mean, I think like Aliyun and Red and JD, wh which one have excited you the most and why? Where do you think, who's leading the pact? Who has the most interesting metaverse platform? If we compare the maturity of metaverse versus the maturity of the internet, the information highway, I would say it's the metaverse now is like the internet in the year uh, 1995 or around 1995. Uh, you have a lot of novelty applications such as uh, NFT cats or some play-to-earn games. But so far we haven't found a killer application for metaverse. So I believe that we haven't cracked the key uh, for achieving so-called metaverse. There are a lot of teams or products, they're hoping to, uh, to become the first killer app, but we are not there yet. So I, I don't think it's time for us to announce the winner or the future winners in the race. It's still too early. Let's talk about blockchain and NFTs and possibly even digital collectibles, as they're called in China. Some of them obviously are asset-backed, some of them are not. But uh, crypto wallets, you know, they seem to be kind of mandatory if you want to sign up for an account on Centraland, for example. This entire crypto ecosystem and the blockchain, uh, as it's set up to serve the metaverse in the rest of the world, is very different to China. How decentralized really is the internet in China? And I think I kind of know the answer to that. For our audience, can you perhaps help elaborate? Well, first, uh, by regulation, the uh, NFTs and a lot of the blockchain-based uh, financial application uh, is not doable in China mainland. But uh, there are areas in China the blockchain application is applied more mature or, or faster than the rest of the world, such as notation uh, and also some of the 
public service domains. Like there's a now a internet uh, court in China, and also there are、uh, internet-based notation service in China, and、uh, technology framework to support those internet court and internet notation was based on blockchain. So Tom, we mentioned about bringing people together. You mentioned the whole aspect of togetherness and bring communities together, especially that we've experienced during the lockdown. Are there other aspects of the metaverse that will be a force for good? Do you think that there will be some good things to come out of the proliferation of the metaverse? What What do you think they are? Well, I think the biggest potential benefit for the Uh, pervasive use of AR and metaverse is the democratization of experience. Like I said, most of the people we we don't have a spare one million RMB or one million US dollar to buy the newest racer car, right? But with the fully immersive device, we might be able to experience, let's say, eighty percent of driving a.、Uh, Real multi-million-dollar racer car at a very cheap cost, or even for free, it will be huge impact、mm. for those type of experience democratized both in terms of、uh, entertainment, in terms of education, in terms of the evolution of human society. I, I see it. It will be a very positive impact. I know that you're working for Unilever. Do you see more brands and companies hiring people like you? Is this an upcoming thing? Should we tell young people who are listening to the podcast that this is definitely something that is an up-and-coming facet of marketing that they should definitely embrace? Do you see brands setting up metaverse departments? Is this a trend? Well, first,、uh, to my knowledge,、uh, no company in China has ever no、uh, consumer good company in China has ever set up their metaverse department yet. But a lot of the content creation、uh, division of those departments, they have started experimenting with、uh, certain metaverse element. Or perceived to be a metaverse element, such as a digital avatar, and also leveraging the current generation smartphone with built-in AR、uh, capabilities to enhance their advertising experience, like IKEA. I remember more than five years ago, they have shipped their mobile app. With that, you can virtually arrange the furnitures. In your bedroom, that's actually a very prototype AR experience.、Uh, so, Tom, we've talked a lot about the metaverse, and we've touched on AI, and and of course, your、um, your sort of your research career started in humanity, I guess, in genomics. But what predictions do you have on the future? And can you share with us perhaps one prediction on artificial intelligence, on the metaverse, and one on humanity? Fifty、uh, years from today. So, a prediction on each that keeps you awake at night. Have you ever watched Star Trek? If you watch Star Trek, you know the, there's a classic procedure in Star Trek. You you can beam people. I love that. You can beam people down to another、yeah. ship or another. 
place. Molecular reconstruction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not suggesting that within 15 years we are going to become a multi-galaxy civilization, but I think with the help of AR, VR, uh, metaverse, it's possible to partially replicate that beaming experience. Uh, You can virtually or half virtually experience a physical place, a real place. Let's say due to the COVID, you can't travel to some tourism spot. Are we saying that the place comes to you or do you go to the place? So the place is actually physical and real Uh, and you get beamed into that space. Okay, uh, let's be more specific. You can connect your AR glasses to walking robot in Huangshan. Huangshan is a famous mountain. And the robot will just walk and look around, controlled by you. So by doing that, at least you have experienced the visual part of the experience of visiting Huangshan. Are we ready for the A-B test? Uh, Absolutely. We're ready for the A-B test. We do have a long list. Uh, We don't necessarily need to go through all of them. I left many of them over here as, as as, I guess, just for fun. And and we can kind of handpick the ones that we want to go through. The way it works, Tom, is that I'm going to just fire two words at you. Might be phrases, might be sentences. I think by the looks of today's list, it's going to be just words. Uh, And you need to choose between both words. And you don't have a lot of time to choose. So whatever comes first to your mind is what you have to reply with. So I give you two words, you make a choice, and that's it. So the metaverse or the Chinaverse? Metaverse. NFT or digital collectible? NFT. Ethereum or Bitcoin? Bitcoin. E-Yuan or Bitcoin? Bitcoin. I need to earn earn that at least one Bitcoin just in case I lose that bet. Hardware or software? Software. Uh, Yang Rou Chuan or Niu Pai? Yang Rou Chuan. Moto or uh, Moto? Electric Moto. Uh, gaming or Metaverse? Gaming. Friendship or online friend? Friendship. R or Python? Python. Innovation or business? Innovation. Excellent. Now we know a lot more about you, Tom. Hey, Tom. Thank you very much for being on the show. It was incredibly fascinating. I'm much more positive and optimistic about the metaverse than I was before the episode. So you've definitely changed one mind and we really appreciate your time to be on the show today. Thank you, the honor is mine. And thank you everyone for joining us on today's episode. Join us in two weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. 